All right, uh, if, you, if you weren't here last week, um, because I have to, I was trying to use the headset with faith so I could write on the board, um, but, uh, but we can't, I can't hold the microphone and write on the board. That gets really awkward. Uh, so uh, how many of you were here last Wednesday? If you were here, come on, raise your hand if you were here last Wednesday. Okay, we're not judging the people that don't have their hands up. I'm sure you had a good excuse. Um, uh, maybe you went to one of the other classes and discovered that, no, this is the best class. I don't know why you aren't here, but whatever reason, uh, <laughs> you're here tonight. Um, uh, we're talking about, Destiny is in a Wednesday night series that I just hijacked um, called Epic Falls. And she's going through the... Uh, the falls of the Bible. She started with Adam and Eve, obviously Genesis chapter three. Uh, uh, then, uh, then she began to talk about Noah uh, and that the the basically the whole human race had fallen, but there was a righteous man named Noah, and uh, God used him in that situation. And that, that although the world might be falling around you, you don't have to fall with it. And uh, and, and and then uh, then I jumped in last week. And I started, I started just talking about why we fall. What are the, some of the reasons that we fall? And uh, we started talking about our focus. Uh, that's, where, that's where we started last week. And, and, of course, it's an acrostic for the word fall um, because it's me preaching it. And so, it's a, so we started with, with focus. And, and we said this, that we focus on the wrong words. Okay, We started talking about our focus, focusing on the wrong words. That we, are you focused on the word of God? Or are you focused on the word of your enemy? Are you focused on the word of faith? Or are you focused on... The word of doubt. We focus on the wrong words. Uh, we 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 uh, talked about that. We focus on the wrong things. We start looking at at stuff instead of the sin that's in our own heart. We start looking at the past instead of the present, and we we focus on the wrong things. And then we talk about how we focus on the wrong person. We focus on the wrong person. We start judging other people, comparing ourselves to other people, and our focus gets off what it should be. Our focus should be on us, on ourselves. We start focusing on that, and our focus should be on our true self. If you were here, we, we talked about that, that other self, you know, that, that, that false self, that, that self that we dream about being and we want to be and we envision ourselves being one day, but we're not there yet. And so we have to be honest about where we are. And so and then we start talking about attitude. So the reason, the first reason we fall is that we're not focused on the right things. The second reason is that we don't have the right attitude. We don't have the right attitude. And I know it's cheesy, but it's so true, and I say it all the time, is that our attitude determines our altitude. How high you go in life will be determined by the attitude that you bring into every single day. And so uh, we, we talked a little bit um, about that, but, but I want to move to the L now, uh, the reasons that we fall. And so we've got to focus on the right things. We've got to have the right attitudes. And the third reason that we fall is uh, a little f- uh, f- nasty four-letter four word um, called lazy, lazy. Lazy. Uh-oh, we already, uh, man, whenever you just give like the point and people start preaching back to you, you know it's going to be a good night on Wednesday. Hey, let's go to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 11. It says this, we, we want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end so that, you, so that what you hope for may be fully realized. We do not want you to become lazy. Say, become lazy. But to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. The writer of Hebrews is saying, we, in verse 12, we do not want you to become lazy. You see, you don't have to be born lazy. You can actually become lazy. 
You can used to be a person of great energy and great enthusiasm, and you can, through the course of time and a series of events, you can become lazy. And the writer of Hebrews is writing, and he says, we don't want you to become lazy. Instead, we want you to be like these other people who, through faith and patience, inherited everything that had been promised. So what happens is, is that we know that what has been promised, there's got to be patience attached to it. So it means that it's not happening very fast. There's a, there's a time period in there, and that's why you need faith, because if it happened fast, you wouldn't always need faith. And so because there's some time in there, you need faith and you need patience so that you can obtain the promise of God. But in the midst of all of that, he says, I don't want you to become lazy, because the longer that time runs on, you can become lazy. The more faith you have to exert on a daily basis, you have to watch it because you can become lazy in this journey. And I don't want you to become lazy. Instead, I want you to imitate these other people who have possessed the promise of God. Let me just talk about a few things tonight uh, that, that can cause us to be lazy. I, I got four things uh, that, that can cause us to be lazy. The first is this. We can be, be lazy because of our history. We can be lazy because of our history we can, we can get lazy living in our history, relying on the good works that we did a decade ago. We can, we can be leaning on the service that we, that we used to give the church. We can remind ourselves of how much we used to read the Bible and how much we used to pray throughout our lives, and we can actually use it as an excuse for us not doing it today. Because we can live in our history. And because we've got a great history, it can actually create laziness in our today. Because I've served the church for 30 years. And I've, I've been on every committee. And I was on the deacon board. And I did all of these different things. And I've served in all these capacities. And I was at the, uh, I was at the downtown outreach every single year. And I did that for 27 consecutive years. And, and I've been so faithful for the last, uh, last 10 years. All, right, 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 all into the history. History. And we can allow our history to create laziness today because we are leaning on our history. We look back at our rich history and we forget that our destiny is not linked to our history. Our destiny is linked to our today. Your destiny is not linked to your history. Your destiny is linked to your today. I love it and I say it to people all the time. You are only as faithful as you are today. You, you, you can't tell me how faithful you were 10 years ago. If you're not faithful today, it doesn't matter. I mean, I ask the men and women who serve God faithfully with all of their heart, with all of their passion, with all of their skill, and they serve God, and they built these big ministries, and they were preaching on television and huge crusades, and God was doing great and mighty things for them. They made a few bad decisions. They don't say that. But I was faithful for 20 years. No, but you weren't faithful when it mattered. You weren't faithful to your spouse. You weren't faithful to the finances. You, you, you were stealing and you were cheating and you, you, you made some bad decisions. Don't tell me how faithful you were over the last 20 years. I want to know how faithful you are today because only your faithfulness of today will determine your destiny. People today are, are living below where they could have lived. Why? Because they, they had a few bad todays. You can't allow yourself to believe that the passion or the devotion of your, of your past will produce fruit for you today. 
Do not buy that lie that the enemy would love to sell you, that, that past devotion and, 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 and past passion in your life. That, that it's going to produce fruit in your life today. No, the only thing that will produce fruit in your life today is the Holy Spirit being active in your today. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It is what the Holy Spirit will produce in you today. And you don't want to eat a tomato that was on the vine 12 years ago. You want to eat one that's on the vine today that's fresh. That's what you want to eat. And it's the same way you can't you can't count on fruit that you used to produce. You know what that's called? That's called living in the past. And living in the past will never get you where you want to go. Paul even writes about it in Philippians chapter 3. And he says, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but there's one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal. To win the prize, it, it, here's a, we we often use this scripture in talking about bad things. You know, I'm I'm not looking back; to, I'm looking forward. You know, and, and it's great. But do you know there's still there are good things in your past that you've got to turn away from because you can't live in the rich history of your of your past. You've got to live in today so that you can access the destiny that God has for your future. And you can't do that by looking at how good you were 20 years ago. You can't do that by looking at how faithful you were last year. It's all about today. Our history can create laziness. Jesus even included a perspective on this when he was talking to his disciples. His disciples said, hey, Jesus, will you teach us how to pray? Because we figured one thing out. You go away and you pray and you come back and you take a few uh, loaves of bread and a couple fish and you feed everybody. You go away and you pray and you come back and people that the legs are, aren't crooked, you pray and they straighten up. We, we, you know, we might not be the smartest bunch, but we have figured out there's a connection whenever you go and you talk to your dad and stuff happens. And they say, can you teach us how to pray? And you say, yeah, I'll teach you how to pray. And it is the Lord's Prayer. And in Luke chapter 11, verse 3, Jesus says this, give us each day our daily bread. Give us, give us each day our daily bread. You know, I don't know, it may, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe you're a little more, um, maybe you're a little more timely in your house, and maybe you do a better job of like keeping all of your food fresh and all the things. But I'm telling you, the, the D's house, it's not always, we're not always on time, okay? I mean, it wouldn't, be, it wouldn't surprise me right now if you went in our pantry and something expired in 2012. It would not surprise me. Like, you would come out with that and I'd be like, yeah, so what? There's probably something in 2009 in there. I mean, no, it just wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me. But every now and then, you know, you, you get that. It, it used to be bread, but it's not that the bread has a little mold on it. It's like, the, the, it's like mold with a little bread on it. You know, I mean, like, it has totally transformed. I mean, it's like culture changing. You know, it's like it has completely transformed itself. And, and that's because you can't eat old bread. Jesus said, give me my bread for today, and I need it each day because it's got to be fresh. And it's the same way for you. You can't eat the fresh bread that you used to eat. You've got to eat fresh bread today. And the only way you get fresh bread is when you partake of the living bread that is Jesus, and you you, you got to eat fresh bread each and every day. Marv Levy, a former NFL coach, he said this. He said, experience 
should be a plus as long as it doesn't become I put this in the wrong one. I'm sorry. But I'll go ahead and read it because we're moving into point number two. It'll work out great. Experience should be a plus as long as it doesn't become complacency. If you say we're not going to change, we didn't do it that way before, then you've become too old. He, he said experience should be good. But here's the connection between these two. Now, I remember it's all coming back to me now. The connection is, he says, we didn't do it this way before. This isn't what my history says. And sometimes we can get stuck living in our history, and we can think that our history is going to take us into our destiny. And it is not true. Your history is not going to take you there. What happens today is going to take you there. And if today becomes a block because you can't live in today because it now it, it creates complacency in you today because it doesn't look like your history used to look, now it has become a block taking you to your destiny because now you're stuck in complacency, which is point number two. Point number two of why we can be lazy. We can, we can get stuck in our history. We get lazy because we're, we're stuck in all the things that used to happen and used to go on in our history. We get stuck, number two, in our complacency. And there's a difference between being content and complacent. Um, uh, just looked up a couple of definitions uh, Content is defined as this, satisfied with what one has. Satisfied. Satisfied with what one has is, is being content. Complacent is this, pleased, especially with oneself or one's merits, advantages, situations, etc., often without awareness of some potential danger or defect. Self-satisfied. I love that. self satisfied. The, the definition of complacent is self-satisfied. I tell people all the time, be content with what you have, but never satisfied with who or where you are. Be content with what you have. Absolutely. We, we should be content. I mean, Paul, Paul even talks about that, about that in Philippians 4. This is, what, this is what the Bible says. I'm not saying this because I am in need in Philippians 4.11. For I have learned, Paul says, to be content. How many understand that? you got to learn to be content. Because there's something in us called greed, right? And it always wants more. It don't matter if you give your kid one piece of gum, well, then what, two pieces of gum, Right? I mean, you tell, you know, you tell them you can have one, you know, you, you can have ice cream. And it's like, can I get the large? I mean, it's just in us. Like, I, want, I want the greed. It's greed. So you have to learn to be content. You have to learn to be satisfied with what you have. And that's what Paul says. He says, I've learned this lesson. I've learned to be content. Whatever the circumstances, I know in verse 12, I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. You see, he learned how to be content with what he had. But this is the same man that just a moment ago said, I have not taken hold of it yet. But this one thing that I do, forgetting what is behind me and straining toward what is ahead, he said, I, I, I am content with what I have, but I am not satisfied with who I am. I, am. I don't look enough like Jesus yet. I don't have enough Jesus in me. I am not satisfied with who I am. 
I'm not satisfied with where I am yet. There are still more people that got to hear the gospel. There's still more of the world to impact, more hungry people that need to be fed. I am not satisfied. Yes, I'm content with what I have, but I am not satisfied with who I am or where I am. Benjamin Mays, he was a, uh, an activist in the, the civil rights movement. He was a pastor and an author, and this is what he said. The tragedy of life is often not in our failure, but rather in our complacency. Not in our doing too much, but rather in our doing too little. Not in our living above our ability, but rather in our living below our capacities. See, that's what complacency really is, self-satisfied. I'm not judging myself according to the standard of the word. I'm self-satisfied. I'm not judging myself according, uh, according to, to the life of Jesus. I am self-satisfied. I, I, I have satisfied my own self. I look at my own merit. I look at my own accomplishments, and I am satisfied with who I am. I'm satisfied with where I am. I'm satisfied with my commitment. I'm satisfied with my godliness. I'm, sa- I'm satisfied with everything. Why? Because I'm self-satisfied. And there's no room for complacency in Christianity. Because the goal of following Jesus is to be more like Jesus. And I don't know about you, but every day I look in the mirror, I don't see Jesus. But we know we're going somewhere. This is what Paul writes in 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 3. He says, we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love all of you have for one another is increasing. Your faith is growing more and more, and the love that you have for one another is increasing. You see, there's never a reason that we should get complacent. Why? Because faith always needs to be growing. You will never, ever have the maximum amount of faith possible. You will go to the grave and never tap in to the fullness of the love that is in Christ Jesus. You will never, ever get there. This is a journey. This is a time of us growing and increasing. This is... This this is what life is all about. Faith is growing. Love is increasing. Patience is developing. Joy is expanding. Peace is multiplying. Self-control is progressing. And these things don't just happen. They happen when you determine to live our house habit, and that is I will grow intentionally. It's the only time that it happens. But if you are self-satisfied, guess what you're not doing? You're not growing. I'm self-satisfied. I got enough faith for what I need right now. I got enough joy. I got enough peace. I got enough Jesus. I am self-satisfied. That means I am complacent. That's not what Paul was saying when he said be content. You are content with what you have. You can never be complacent with who you are. I love this quote. I thought it was really funny. Uh, uh, It says this, success, which, you know, it's funny and it's kind of true. Success breeds complacency, which I believe that. Success breeds complacency. It's why it's so hard in in professional sports to have back-to-back champions because success breeds complacency. Oh, we got this, man. We got, we're the, you know, we're the national champs. We're the national champs. It's why, I mean, I know it's like a dirty word around here, but it's why Nick Saban is one of the best coaches in, in the history of college football. Why? Because he keeps his teams year after year 
playing at the highest level possible, and he's done it for over a decade. It's the hardest thing in the world. Nobody else can do it. All these guys come, and they win championships, and they, they go to the big dance. It's why what Michael Jordan was able to do is just phenomenal. Six NBA championships and all. It's phenomenal to be able to do that year after year after year. Why? Because success breeds complacency. Because we, we, we get satisfied talking about our stats and satisfied looking at our trophies and satisfied with all the parades and all the articles that are about us. We're on the cover of Sports Illustrated, and we just get complacent because that's what success breeds. But he, his quote goes on. Success breeds complacency. And then he says complacency breeds failure, which I totally agree with. You get complacent, you don't win next year. You, 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 you were so hungry for that championship that you were in the gym six days a week. But now, because you got the championship, now you're taking two days off, and now you're only going to the gym five days. Why? Because you got complacent. Why did you win last year? Because you were putting in the extra that you need to win a championship like that. Now you're not putting that in, so guess what? You're going to fail. Why did you fail on, on, on Saturday, on, on game day? Why did you fail because you got complacent in the offseason, and so your complacency breeds failure. Success breeds complacency. Complacency breeds failure. Only, he says, only the paranoid survive. <laughs> and it's funny, but it's, it's kind of true. You get, you get his point. But I would say this. Yeah, okay, maybe so. The paranoid survive. But those who live with a sense of urgency thrive. See, you, you don't have to be paranoid just to survive. I get what he's saying, but you can live with a sense of urgency, and you can live every day on mission, and you can live with this urgency. And when you live with this urgency, you can begin to thrive. Why? Because I am fighting complacency every day when I get out of the bed. Complacency is not going to hold me back. I will not experience failure in my life because I became complacent, because I had success yesterday. I I will build on success after success after success. Why? Because I will have this undying sense of urgency on the inside of me that says, even though I was successful, it's still not enough. I want to be more like Jesus. I want to give more love. I want to forgive more people. I want to respond better. I want to smile more. I want to do more, and I will let that drive me with a sense of urgency. Cannot become complacent. You just have to know that the world is always trying to pull you into complacency. Because you know what the world loves? The world loves average. That's what the world loves. The world loves average students, average teachers, average. The world loves average. You know what the world hates? The, the world hates abundant. Hates abundant because when you get abundant, then what's wrong with me? As long as everybody's average, we're all average, we can all be average together. We can we can all be we can all, you know, live in the same house and drive the same car and drink at the same bar and just do all this stuff. We can all just be average together. You get one person that says average is not going to cut it for me. I will go above that. I will possess the promise that God has for me. He Jesus said I came that you could have the abundant life that you could overflow with joy, overflow with purpose, overflow over Overflow, overflow. I want to live in that overflow. I don't want to be average. And now all of a sudden people are looking at you. Mm. Why? Because the world hates it. The world loves average. That's why the world says phrases like this. 
oh, it's good enough. It's good enough. If you've heard me talk about this, good enough, it's never good and it's never enough. Anytime you've ever said, well, that's good enough, you know it wasn't good. Well, that's good enough. It wasn't enough to get you the best grade on that paper. It wasn't enough. It's, it's good enough. You know what good enough? I, I, it's the virus of good enough. It's, it's like a virus. It gets in and it, it, it just affects you all, in the, you know, all on the inside. It's that's good enough. Everything turns into that's good enough. I'm being good enough at this and just good enough at that and just good enough. And do you, do you know what that leads you to? It leads you to the disease of almost. I almost got that promotion at work. I, I, I almost did the right thing. Almost. Why did you almost do the right thing and you didn't do the right thing? Because you lived in a series of that's good enough, that's good enough, that's good enough, that's good enough, and it wasn't good and it wasn't enough, and you came to that moment and it turned into almost. So then you begin to live in a world of almost. I almost got that job. I almost married the right person. I almost decided to serve. I almost got promoted. I almost, I almost, I almost. And you, I don't want to live in almost. I want to live in the most. I want to maximize my life. But you can't do that when you just walk around saying what the world says. That's good enough. That's good enough. That's good enough. Nothing drives me crazy like he's good enough. Here's number three. Number three. While we get lazy, we, we've, we, we've got our, our history to deal with. We've got this complacency to deal with. And number three is this, is we get weary. We get weary. Why do, why do we get lazy and we fall? Because we, we, get, we get weary. Galatians 6, verse 9, Paul warns us of this. He says, let us not become weary in doing good. Why does he, why does he warn us? Because you can get weary in doing good. He says, for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. See, being weary can create a habit of lazy. Being weary can create a habit of lazy. And, and, and there are times where you will get tired. There are times where you will be weary. It's just, it, it, it is the, 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 the body that we live in. It gets tired every day. I don't know if you've noticed, but every night you have to go to sleep. Why? Because your body gets tired, okay? You are, you are, you are predisposed every night to close your eyes, sleep for six to eight hours, and wake up the next day. Whew, okay, all right, we can do it over again. That's how we are programmed. So, yes, we do get weary. We do get tired. But here's what happens is when you begin to live in a constant state of weary, it can be produce in you the habit of lazy. Now, here's how you get there. You, you begin to speak weary. When you begin to speak weary, you're guaranteed you will become lazy. When you begin to think about being tired all the time, when you begin to talk about being overworked, and you talk about how little you sleep, and you talk about how early you had to wake up, and you talked about how late you had to stay up the night before, and you talk and you talk and you talk, the chances of you living with great enthusiasm and being a high-energy person after you've talked like that, it is so low, it's almost non-existent. Let me just think about it for a second. Who's ever complained about being tired? And then, like, their next moment was like, but I'm so excited about today. I mean, it never happens. But 
hear me tonight. If you are weary, you need rest. If you're lazy, you need to repent. And there's a big difference. This is, this is the way rest is defined, a refreshing, a period of inactivity or solitude. Rest is important. The Bible actually says that Jesus went to rest. He pulled away from his disciples. He went to a place of solitude, and he rested. Why? Because it was refreshing. It was refreshing. He came back refreshed. Here's the definition for lazy. Idleness. And sometimes you can think that you're going away to be refreshed, but you've stayed there for eight months. That's not being refreshed. That's being idle. Okay, whenever you get idle, whenever, whenever you get lazy, you become a, 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 a verse. A ver- the second part of the definition is a verse to work or exertion. Okay, Jesus went and got refreshed. Why? So he could come back and work even harder. Come on, guys. You know, those disciples were like, another trip. You know, God, isn't this good enough, Jesus? You know? And Jesus was resting so he could be refreshed because he had a mission to accomplish and a purpose to fulfill. But Jesus was never averse to work or or averse uh, to exerting energy. He was never idle. He was refreshed for the job. He was refreshed for the purpose, and he always came back. But somebody that's telling me, I'm in a season of resting, and they've been there for three years. No, you have gone way past refreshing, and now you have gotten into the habit of being lazy but you really think that you're resting. You're not resting, you're being idle. You're being lazy. And at times we can attempt to justify our laziness because of our weariness. And we we, we try to justify it. And if you just always remember this, rest is refreshing, laziness is depressing. It's the best way to know if you're really rested. Because when you really rest, you come back refreshed, fired up. I mean, you just, woo, let's do it. I mean, I mean, you're ready to go. That's refreshing. But if you think you've rested, but you're like, oh, here we go again. Let's go back. No, 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 no. That, 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 that's lazy. That's a spirit of laziness. Lazy is depressing. Rest is refreshing. That's how you know, did I just rest or am I being lazy? Am I feeling refreshed on the inside or am I feeling depressed on the inside? That's what will tell you if you are getting rest or if you are just being lazy. And the church said amen. Romans 12, verse 11. Paul writes and he says, never be lazy. Never, never, ever, never in the Greek, the Hebrew, French, Italian, it doesn't matter, never, never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Don't be lazy. Be refreshed? Absolutely. Jesus Jesus taught us to be refreshed. I mean, God even built it into his schedule, right? I mean, it's one of the Ten Commandments. He built it into the schedule for you to take a Sabbath. Why? Because you need a 24-hour period. You know, now the health people tell you that you need to, you need to literally fast one day a week. 
They, I mean, there's, there's so much studies, I mean, talking about fasting, what it does for your body, what it does for all these things, fasting one day a week. It's amazing how God programmed us to take this day of rest, this day of solitude, to be refreshed for, for what we have. God knows how, how we are. And so whenever we rest, we come back refreshed. But whenever whenever we fall into this, this being lazy, man, it creates this depression. It creates this sloppiness. It creates this lethargy. And, and, and then you start living life with no strength. You start living life with no purpose. You, you, it's like you are stuck in a trap. You are stuck in the pit, and you just can't get out of the pit. I can't. That's because you're not resting. You have crossed the line from resting, and you have begun to develop the habit of being lazy. And you say, well, how do you break that habit? Well, Isaiah 40 says this. Have you never heard? Have you never understood? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth. He never grows weak or weary. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. He gives power to the weak, and he gives strength to the powerless. Even youths will become weak and tired, and young men will fall in exhaustion. But those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. Say new strength. Those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. How do you get your strength back? You begin to trust in the Lord. And when you begin to trust in the Lord, he will give you brand new strength. It, this verse doesn't say if you got eight hours of sleep and all of your bills are paid and everything in your life is going good, then you will have new strength. No, it says if you make a decision that you will trust in the Lord, it doesn't matter if you have four hours of sleep. It doesn't matter if your baby woke you up all night long. It doesn't matter. You can find new strength because it is the promise of the word of God. It will give you new strength. New strength, the strength that you didn't used to have. That's new. I mean, it ain't like you're going in and getting old strength. You're getting brand new strength. You're not putting on old shoes. You're getting a brand new pair of shoes. New strength. That's what God will give you. Why? Because he never grows weak and he never grows weary. And there is no match to his power. And he's the one that is handing it to you. And because he's never weak and he's never weary, he can give you the fullness of his strength so that you get to live in the fullness of everything that he has and not the fullness of everything that you have. Yes, you may be tired and yes, you may be weary. But when you begin to trust in him that he can do all things in you, all of a sudden it breathes refreshing on the inside of you and you got something that you didn't have before. That's how you overcome laziness. Here's number four. Number four is the last thing that we'll, we'll close with. You're only getting one L tonight. Sorry. Come back next week. Lazy. What's that? You have to come back after first Wednesday. You guys, it's gonna be a while. You're gonna, y'all gonna be hanging on that last L. Like, I gotta get the last L. That's like so long. Like I could change it like five times. <laughs> well, let's get back to this. I got. I'm getting distracted now. 
All right, we got our history, our complacency. We're weary. Why else do we become lazy? This is the last thing that I want to share with you. This is the, the, the last point for why we become lazy. And that, that is out of gluttony. Gluttony. Glut, gluttony is, is excess, the excess in, in eating. And, 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 and I want to talk just about, about this, this, this term of gluttony and, and, and want to use a, uh, just a phrase of, of, just for a mental picture of a, a spiritual obesity. We, we, we excess, we want more, we, we take in more than, than we use. If, if, if you, if, if, I mean, if you, if you, if you gain weight physically, you are eating more calories than you were burning. That's how you gain weight. Everybody understands that. But here's the spiritual side of that. The spiritual side of that is that whenever you eat more of the word, but you're not burning it off, you create spiritual obesity or gluttony. You have an excess in eating, but you're not using it. You're not, you're not doing anything with what you're eating. You've got lots of doctrine, but there's not enough doing. You've got lots of information, but limited application. You've got a lots of, of notes in your notebook, but there's little noted change in your life. You see, because you are taking things in, and you are reading all the books, and listening to all the podcasts, and I'm coming on Wednesday, and I'm coming on Sunday, and I'm I'm eating, I'm eating, I'm eating, I'm eating. I'm getting full of my word and I'm getting full on the spirit and I'm getting full on all of this stuff, but I'm not burning up these spiritual calories because I'm not doing anything. That's why James warns us in James chapter 1. He says in verse 22, don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and you don't obey, it is like glancing at your face in the mirror. You see yourself, you walk away, and you forget what you look like. But you are looking carefully into the perfect law that sets you free. And if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. If you claim to be religious but don't control your tongue, you are fooling yourself. And your religion is worthless. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for the orphans and the widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. Ooh, man. He said, you, it ain't enough just to listen. It ain't enough just to know your doctrine. It ain't, it, it's, not, it's not enough for you. You see, because you, we can become lazy, and, and we, can get, we can get lazy because we have, we have eaten so much and for so much Jesus and so much word, and it, it, really it really becomes a sickness, a spiritual sickness, because you come and you, man, you, want, you want something new to eat, you know? Like Jesus isn't even good enough anymore. You know, like, that's just old. That's old. You know, that's old. I, I need something. We got to get deeper. We got to get de It doesn't get deeper than Jesus. <laughs> it doesn't. It, do it doesn't. It will never get deeper than Jesus. It'll never get better than the cross. It, it'll never be more glorious than the empty tomb. That's as good as it gets for all of us. And, and he says here, don't, don't just listen, don't just, don't just hear, don't just, don't just take notes and, and don't just take it all in. No, 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 you've you got to start doing it. You've got to start putting it into play. You've got to start putting it into action. And he goes as far as says, this is what real religion is. It's taking care of people who are in distress. 
It's caring so much about those people who are in tough places in life. It's about meeting real needs. It's about doing real things. It's not about, he didn't say this is pure religion when you believe the right thing. That's not what he said. He said pure religion is when you start taking care of people that nobody else wants to take care of. When you start loving people that nobody else wants to love. When you start giving patience away to people who are, who are eating it like it's, it's, it's their lunch. That's, that, that's when you know you are putting it into practice. You know, it's, you know peer, pe- people think, you know, I just need more instruction. I just need more knowledge. I just need more. No, the truth is if you aren't using what you have, you don't need more advice. You only need more action. If you're not using what you have, if you haven't taken what you have today and you are not using what you have to do something with it, you do not need another sermon. You do not need more advice. You do not need a greater understanding of doctrine. What you need is you need a greater doing. You need more action in your life so that you can start burning up what you have in your life so that you can start putting it into practice because if we don't put it into practice, our gluttony will cause us to be lazy. If we get lazy and we stop doing, I mean, just think about what Jesus, what Jesus said. I mean, Jesus, these are just some of the things that he told his disciples. Go, feed, clothe, heal, preach, make disciples, baptize, teach, proclaim, pray for others. (laughs) All action, all going to cause you to burn spiritual calories. Because you got to be doing these things. You got to be. You got to be working. You got to be moving. You got to be going. You got to. You, you you got to put some things into action. And this is what this is what Jesus instructed us to do. I'll read this as we close. And Philip, you can you can come to the piano. Philippians chapter two, verse twelve it says, "Dear friends, you you have always followed my instructions when I was with you, and now that I am away, it is even more important." Okay, so he says, you, you, you followed my instructions while I was there, but he says, now I'm not with you anymore. Now it's more important that you actually do what I told you to do, that you actually live the word out in your life. So he says this, work hard to show, work hard. He says, work hard, work hard, be diligent to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do. Everybody say, do what pleases him. Man, Paul says, I want you to work hard so that you can show the effect, the impact, the fruit of your salvation. You got to be out there doing it. Not listening to it. He doesn't say, uh, you know, now that I'm not with you anymore, I, I hope that you're gathering every day, and I hope you're really taking in the word, and hope you're taking really, really good notes, and I hope you're really pondering these things in your mind, and I hope you're having some really good discussions with your best friend about these deep spiritual truths, and I hope you're tuning in to TBN and making sure you listen to all of your favorite preachers, and and I hope you've signed up for, for 45 different emails where they send you the verse of the day so that you can read all those verses of the day, and, and I'm sure you 
got the Bible on your phone. You got the Bible in your car and you're reading. I'm sure you're doing all of these things. That's not what Paul said. So I sure hope you're living it out now that I'm away. I I hope you're actually doing what we talked about. I hope you're I, I hope you understand that God is working in you. He's working in you so that you can do. So you can do what pleases Him. What pleases Him is what we just read. James said, this is what pleases the Father when you take care of the widows and the orphans and you meet the needs and you serve the community and you open up your arms and you take them as they are and you don't judge them and you don't ostracize them and you just meet them right where they are and you meet them with a smile and a big heart and open arms. That's what pleases Him. That's what Paul says. He's giving you the power to do that. last thing I want to say to you tonight is this the longer it takes for you to do something for God the more tempted you will be just to settle for the knowledge of God the longer it takes for you to do something for God the more tempted you will be just to settle for the knowledge of God Jesus came for a whole lot more than just for you to have the knowledge of God. He wouldn't have stood before his disciples in Matthew chapter 28 and gave them the great commission if all it was about is just them having a knowledge of who the Father was. They already had that. (laughs) She said, no, 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 this is the will of my Father that you go that you preach, that you make disciples, that you baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That is my plan. That is the Father's heart. And you see, the longer that it takes you to do something for God, I feel like, I don't know if I'm really ready. I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I'm ready to step out there. The longer it takes for you to take that step, guess what? You just more gluttony and more gluttony spiritually you just growing and growing I'm going to do it I'm going to do it I'm going to do it and you just more and more and more and more I'm, I'm going to get after it I'm going to get out I'm going to do something the longer it takes the more you're just going to go you know what I'll just settle for knowing God is good God's, God's good the more I know I'll, I'll study the Greek and the Hebrew and I'll, I'll know everything about everything and I'll be able to quote more scripture than Pastor Philip can quote and I'll, I'll know every I'll know more than he knows and that's fine you, you can know more than me all day long but I'm gonna be out there doing stuff that's how I got that's how I got here I just started doing what I had in my hand I mean, teaching people just wrong stuff. I mean, I look back. I look back at my notes when I was in college leading Bible studies. I was just like, man, I hope nobody ever finds this notebook. I just pray over those people that were in those meetings. God, I pray they found some good doctrine between now and then. But you know what? You know what I saw? I saw people get saved. I saw people give their hearts to Jesus, baptize guys in swimming pools, saw them filled with the Holy Spirit, saw them, man, just turn away from a life of sin, and saw these guys bringing their friends to meet Jesus, just saw, saw revival. Why? Because I just went with what I had. 
I didn't know it all, but I just used what I had. And I just, I just kept on. That just became the pattern of my life. I just kept on and kept on and kept on and kept on. And here's what I've discovered is that in, in, in the physical realm, the, 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 the people that consume the most calories in a day, they're, they're either people that, 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 that are obese or they're people that are active. Okay, if you're training for a track line, guess what? You are consuming a massive amount of calories. I mean, because you're so you're so active, okay? And, and you have to decide what kind of Christian are you going to be? Are you going to be one that is just, just, just gluttonous, that is just spiritually obese, just consuming more calories? Are you going to be the one that's so active that I've got to have more of Jesus every day because I'm out there, I'm just doing stuff, I'm praying, I'm working, I'm sowing seed, I'm inviting, I'm feeding, I'm going, I'm meeting with this person early for coffee so I can disciple them, I'm reading reaching out to my coworker. I'm doing all this stuff. Why? Because I want to do something for God. See, if you, if you do those things, then you won't become lazy. You won't become lazy. You won't become lazy if you're not relying on your history. You're looking at today. What am I going to do for God today? I'm not looking at my history. Your history will make you lazy. Complacency will make you lazy. I'm self-satisfaction. I'm, 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 I'm good enough. I'm better than my next door neighbor. I know that person sitting at the end of my row right now. I'm more spiritual than they are. I'm fat. It's a fact, and I feel good about who I am. Self-satisfaction. That's complacency. That'll that'll breed failure in your life, and you'll fall. You'll fall, and you wonder how did I fall? Because you got complacent and you got lazy. Say, ah, man, I, I fell because I got, I got weary. I got weary and I didn't do the proper rest that I needed to be refreshed and I let my weariness turn into the habit of laziness. I've been here for six weeks, turned to six months, and now instead of it being refreshing, it turned to depressing and I don't even know how to get out now. I've fallen fallen. I can't get out of this pit of being lazy, depressed. And then we, we fall because we just, just gluttony, spiritual gluttony. More, we need excess, excess, but we're not using what we have. We fall. You know, you don't have to fall. You don't have to fall because you're lazy. You don't have to live in your history. You don't have to live in complacency. You can live with a sense of urgency for Jesus today. You, 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 don't, you don't have to live weary because you can be refreshed and be given new strength from God. You don't have to live there. You don't have to be that way. And you know what? You don't have to live like the person that comes and just wants more and wants more and doesn't do anything. No, you can burn some spiritual calories by doing the things that God has asked us to do in the earth. You can do that. And if you're doing those things, you won't become lazy. And if you're not lazy, you're not going to fall. You're not going to fall. You're going to be strong. You're going to live on mission. You're going to live with purpose. And you'll accomplish the destiny that God has for you. Come on, will you stand with me tonight?